This sermon was recorded at the Church of Christ, Wheeler area, located at 1500 South Allen L. Bean Boulevard in Wheeler, Texas. Our regular meeting times are at 10.30 a.m. and 2.30 p.m. each Sunday. Come join us as we seek to worship God in spirit and in truth. Luke, the 11th chapter, verse number 1, it says, It came to pass, as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. You know, something about the way that Jesus was praying there intrigued his followers, his disciples. And they wanted to know how to pray like that. You know, I suppose they had a prayer life. In fact, some of his apostles were even followers of John's. And so John would have taught them how to pray in some form or fashion. But something about the way that Jesus was praying there intrigued them. And they wanted to learn how to pray like that. And I suppose you've probably heard sermons over the Lord's Prayer, as we have come to call it. It's just a model prayer that Jesus goes through there and teaches them how to pray. And as he does that, he prays to the Father. And he shows them there. He says, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And so he teaches us that when we pray, we don't pray directly to Jesus We don't pray to some other entity or some other being, but we go directly to the Father. It is our opportunity to talk to our Father in heaven. And so he shows them that in that model. He's providing them a template. He acknowledges the Father's power within that prayer, doesn't he? Hallowed be thy name. Honored be thy name. He has a name. The Father has a name above all names. His name is exalted above all others. And Jesus teaches his followers to acknowledge that in our prayers. We're not only supposed to go to God in prayer, but we're to acknowledge the Father and acknowledge his power, acknowledge his might. Jesus tells them to pray for the kingdom. Thy kingdom come, he says then. Now this was at a period of time... Jesus was looking forward, knowing the kingdom was going to come with power, knowing that when he died on the cross, he would usher in a new covenant, the New Testament, a kingdom, the church, that would be established in Acts, the second chapter. And Jesus is looking forward to that. And so he's teaching his followers here, pray for the kingdom, but pray for it in the future tense. You and I pray for the kingdom, but we pray for it in the present tense. We're not praying for a coming kingdom. We don't want the kingdom to come. The kingdom is here. The kingdom has come with power. But we ought to pray for the kingdom. And Jesus was teaching his followers to pray for the kingdom. He taught them to pray for God's will to be done. Thy will be done, he says, as in heaven, so on earth. That's the prayer that Jesus prayed as he taught his apostles or his disciples, his followers. He wanted them to pray for God's will to be done. He wanted them to acknowledge that sometimes they wanted things that maybe God didn't want. And we can certainly relate to that. Sometimes we want things that maybe God doesn't want. We need to pray for God's will to be done in all those things, don't we? He taught them to pray for their needs. Give us this day our daily bread. He taught them to pray for their needs. Now God knows we need bread, doesn't he? God knows we need food. God knows we need clothes. God knows those things. But Jesus taught them to pray for those daily needs. 
as a means of acknowledging where they come from. We don't have a gift. We don't have a blessing. We don't have food or clothes or shelter or anything without God the Father. And so he teaches them in that template to pray for their daily needs. He teaches them to pray for forgiveness. Forgive us our sins as we forgive everyone that is indebted to us. That's how he teaches them to pray. Sean talked about this morning. We've got to be willing to forgive, don't we? We pray for that forgiveness, and the way he taught them to pray for forgiveness was not just to ask for forgiveness, but to ask for forgiveness in the same measure in which we forgive those that would sin or trespass against us. And then he tells them to pray for deliverance from temptation and from evil. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is the model prayer, isn't it, that, that Christ taught his followers. They saw him praying. And this is not exactly what he prayed as they, as they witnessed him praying. They were watching him pray and listening to him pray. And this is not the exact prayer. But when they said, teach us to pray, this is the model that he put forth to show that we should do these things in our prayers. That doesn't mean you have to do all these things in every prayer, does it? But it means that we should be thinking about these things when we pray. There are going to be times you go to prayer and you have something specific on your mind. Maybe it is a specific temptation that's troubling you in the moment. And you need to go to God and pray to Him at that time to deliver you from that temptation. And you may not be thinking about any of these other things. You need to be acknowledging the Father. You need to be recognizing His power. You may not pray for the kingdom in that prayer. But at times you need to pray for the kingdom, don't you? You may not pray for your daily needs in that prayer. But at times you need to pray for your daily needs. And that's the point that I think Jesus is trying to make with this prayer. Now I do all that to introduce our thoughts for this afternoon. And that's to look at an application of this. Paul, in his letter to the Ephesians, we have a prayer recorded in which he's going to hit his knees and he's going to pray for the, for the church at Ephesus. And he's going to pray a very specific prayer. And I think he applies portions of this template in which Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Paul's going to apply that. But he's going to apply it in a very specific way, and that's what I want us to note this afternoon. There are times when you're praying for yourself, for the temptations that you face. There are times you're praying for others and the, the struggles that they're going through, the sickness that they're going through. And then I want you to know, brothers and sisters, there's times when you need to hit your knees and you need to pray for the church. You need to pray for this congregation. You need to pray for your brothers and sisters here and that this church abounds in the work of the Lord. And that's the example that Paul's going to give us in this prayer. I want to read it in its entirety and then we'll come back and make some comments uh, after that. Ephesians chapter 3, <clears throat> beginning in verse number 14. Paul says, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. That ye being rooted and grounded in love. May be able to comprehend with all saints. What is the breadth and length and depth and height. 
and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church by, Jesus, by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. And I read that prayer and I, it just there's really not much I can say at first glance through there. Such a powerful and magnificent prayer that Paul offers for the church at Ephesus. He's praying for the people at Ephesus. He's praying that they would receive these things. And he's praying through the name of the Father. And so I want to just note a few things as I believe Paul applies the model that Jesus laid forth and how he prayed. First of all, I want to notice that he did that with humility. With an extreme amount of humility. And we see that uh, as, as we start that. He says that uh, I bow my knees unto the Father. Paul got down on his knees. He got down on his knees and he pleaded with the Father. That's how humbly he came before God. And I'm not saying that's the only way to pray. Don't get me wrong. There are examples in the scriptures of people praying while they're standing up. There are examples in the scriptures of people praying while they're sitting down. There are examples in scriptures of people laying on their face and praying to God. You can pray in any which way you want to get, whether it's bowing or sitting or standing. But the attitude with which you approach the Father has to be in humility. You don't approach the Father in a prideful and boastful way as though he owes you anything. As though you think he, that you deserve what you're about to ask from God. Because he doesn't owe you anything. He created you in his image. He is the very reason for your existence. Paul recognized that. And so he said, I bow my knees unto the Father. He goes on and he acknowledges God. And I, I want you to notice, this is not a long prayer, but half of the prayer is acknowledgement of God. Half of the prayer is acknowledging how great God is and the power of God. And so he's going to acknowledge and go through that. In verse number 15, he says, Of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. He recognizes God as the creator. God is the creator, that God created it all, that God named it all, that everything that exists is from God. And so he acknowledges God in that regard. He says that he would grant. Paul didn't take any credit for himself as though he's praying on behalf of these uh, Ephesian brothers and sisters. As though he's praying on behalf of the church at Ephesus and whatever they get is because of him. No, he said God will grant that. That he would grant. And so he's acknowledging the superiority of God in that one statement alone. Also in verse number 16, he says, According to the riches of his glory, all glory and honor be to God. It's according to the riches of his glory. He's rich in glory. Not Paul, not the church at Ephesus, but God. God Almighty, he is the one that is rich in glory. And he's going to grant you anything that he grants you because of the riches 
of his glory. Because of how wonderful and magnificent he is, that's what he's going to grant or how he's going to grant this petition. And so he does these three things to open up the prayer. So he opens it up like that. He acknowledges God. Just like Jesus said, hallowed be thy name, Paul's going to go into that. And that's Paul's way of saying, hallowed be thy name. You have named everything, God. Everything we have is because of you. You're the one going to grant this request. Not anyone else but you. And you're going to grant that according to the riches of your glory. So that's how he opens up his prayer. And then he's going to have four more statements as he closes his prayer in acknowledgement of God. He says, Now unto him that is able to do, him that is able to do exceeding abundantly. God's the one that can do this. Again, it's not Paul. It's not the, because the church at Ephesus was great and, and they were doing such wonderful things that good things was going to happen to them. He says, God's going to grant this. God is able to do that. And he's able to do it exceeding abundantly, far and above more than what I'm asking for, far and above more than you can comprehend or imagine. That's how much God can grant this unto you. And he says, above all that we ask or think. Isn't that a great blessing? I don't know how many times I've prayed and can't find the words for what I want to say or what I want to ask. But he knows far above what I can ask or even what I can think. Even when my mind is firing on all cylinders, even when I'm at my most clear moment of thought, he can deliver above what I can think. The Bible puts it like this, that the Spirit maketh groanings and utterances for us above what we're able to understand or above what we're able to comprehend. According to the power that worketh in us. It's His power working in us. And Paul's acknowledging that. His power working in us. Unto Him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus. Unto Him be glory in the church. He says throughout all ages of time. Throughout all ages, until the world ends, to him be glory and honor. I want you to think about that. That's half the prayer. It's been an acknowledgement of God. Do you appreciate the power of God? Do you stop and soak in his holiness, his wonder, his magnificence? Because that's who we serve. We serve a God that can grant our petitions. That can grant our wants and our wishes according to his glory, not ours. And he's the one that glory should be brought to. Everything we do, say, and think, we should be doing that to bring glory to God. And that's what Paul is saying as he opens his prayer and as he closes his prayer. So after getting those things out of the way, I want to move on and I want to talk about uh, the supplication portion of his prayer. What is he asking? And this is really the meat of what I want to talk about this afternoon. Because Paul is praying for the church. Paul is praying for the church in a specific location even. He's praying for the church at Ephesus. And I want you to think about how much time you spend praying for this church. I'm not worried about you praying for the church at Ephesus tonight. I'm worried about you praying for this church, this congregation, in this place. What does it need? Paul had evaluated and looked at and, and thought about what it needed. 
And Paul knew problems in the church at Ephesus. Paul addresses issues in all his letters to those churches. But I want you to notice what he prays for here. He doesn't pray uh, for those issues or about those issues. He doesn't address that really whatsoever. But he's going to pray for what he knows the church needs. And I think we need to be this uh, like-minded in this regard. When, his, when Jesus' disciples saw his prayer and he said, teach, they said, teach us to pray, I think we can look at Paul's prayer here and it can teach us how to pray for the church. It can teach us how to pray for each other. So the first thing that he addresses here is he says, I want him to grant you strength by his spirit in the inner man. And he says that in a way, he says it like this in verse 16, to be strengthened with might, to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. We need strength in our spirit. Paul could have looked at the church at Ephesus knowing that persecution was awaiting, knowing that they were going to be struggling with these different things, and he could have prayed for the outward man. He could have prayed that they wouldn't be burdened with persecutions. He could have prayed that they wouldn't be burdened with problems in life. He could have prayed that they would be wealthy, that they'd be rich. Some of those things that Sean talked about this morning, those things weren't his concern at all. His concern for the church was that they would be strengthened in the inner man, in the inner man, not the outward man. In Romans chapter 7 and verse 22, it says, For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. The inward man is fed by the law of God. It's fed by the scriptures. And when we delight after the law of God, we feed that inward man. And that's what Paul's saying. I want you to be strengthened by the spirit in the inward man. When you read the scriptures and you read the words of the spirit, and you're filled with those words, and those words begin to manifest themselves in actions in your life, you're being filled with that. You're being strengthened in the inward man with the might of God. God has put those things out there for us to study and learn and apply. And when we do that as a congregation collectively, we have the might of God within us. That's that power that he's bestowed in us, the power that works in us through him. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse number 16, For which cause I faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. That outward man is going to perish, and Paul recognized that. The outward man would perish, but the inward man would be renewed day by day, or could be renewed day by day. And he's praying for that for them. He's praying that their inward man, would be renewed. And, and that's my prayer for the church here. I hope it's your prayer for the church. I want you to pray for me that my inward man is renewed. That I have strength in the inward man. Because when the inward man is strong and the temptation comes, I can fight that. I can battle that. When the inward man is weak and the temptation comes, the devil will win. And it doesn't matter how strong my outward man is. It doesn't matter how healthy my outward man is if the inward man is not strong. We need the strength of God in the inward man. And that's the first thing that Paul asked for for the church at Ephesus, that they would be strong in the inward man. He follows that up by saying that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. That Christ may dwell in your heart by faith. Certainly that's important for the church, isn't it? Well, how does Christ dwell in us? How does he dwell in us? You know, people often ask that question about Christ. We talked about it a little bit in between services about the Spirit. How, how does that happen? 
The word dwell just means to house permanently or to reside in. And so is Christ living in your heart. That's another way to state that. Is he living in your heart? Well, does he literally come in there and live? Is there a little Jesus that sets up camp in your heart and lives there? Or is he saying when you act like Christ and when you walk like Christ and when you talk like Christ, Christ is then living in you? I think that's what he's saying. We had a wonderful lesson about that this morning. Christ in one of his first sermons lays out, here's what I want you to do to be a Christian. Here's how I want you to act. Here's what I want you to be to be blessed. Here's how I want you to live. And when we live like that and act like that, that's when Christ dwells in our heart. And that's what Paul's praying for for the church at Ephesus. That's what we ought to be praying for for one another. That we live out the Beatitudes in our life. That we practice those things. That we're good people. That we treat people right. That we honor one another. We love one another. We strengthen one another. We edify one another. That's when Christ is dwelling in our hearts. When we're mean and we're hateful and we bite and we devour and we pick on each other. That's not Christ living in our hearts. That's not how Christ acted. That's not how he treated people. And so Paul is praying that Christ would dwell in your heart. Romans chapter 8 verses 9 and 10 says, But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so, be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he's none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. The Spirit is life because of righteousness. Because we're living in a right way. We're living like Jesus. We're mimicking Jesus. We're disciples of Jesus. And when we act like that, Jesus is dwelling in our hearts. In verse 17, he says that ye being rooted and grounded in love. That's what Paul wanted for the church. That the church would be rooted and grounded in love. I want you to think about that terminology that he's using there. A root. It's more than a foundation. It's more than just a foundation. It has gone into the ground. And it is making you strong and established. And he says that you would be rooted and grounded in love. That's the law of Christ. Christ came into this earth and he taught the law of love. And Sean covered a lot of that this morning. I think it goes along very well. I won't repeat the things that he said at all. Because I think he painted a very clear picture for us of what loving is it's lending and not hoping to receive anything in return it's giving because people need not because we want any uh, honor and glory for ourselves, but because we see they need it and we have it and so we lend it and we give it that was Paul's prayer for the church you know there are places that say he would know that we are his followers, that we are his disciples, if we love one another. That's what paints the picture to those outside of the church. When they see that we love one another, that we're rooted and grounded in love, they know that we're followers of Jesus. It can't be denied that we're followers of Christ when we behave in that way. When we love one another, when we love God, 1 John chapter 3 and verse 16, Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. 
We're going to lay down our lives. I don't think that means just we ought to be willing to jump in front of the train, push our brother or sister out of the way. I don't think that means we ought to be willing to take the bullet for our brother and sister. It goes beyond that, far beyond that. It means we're willing to deny ourselves. That we're willing to deny ourselves. If there's something that's going to cause you to struggle, I'm going to deny myself that. And I'm going to help you. I'm going to deny myself the, care, the, the, the pleasures of the world. Because that's going to be bad for not just me, but it's going to be bad for you. If I indulge in those things. And that's what Paul's praying for for the church. That you know that you're rooted and grounded in love. When you're rooted and grounded in love and you want the best for your brothers and sisters, you want them to succeed, you want them to go to heaven, you want them to live a Christ-like life. And so you're going to live a Christ-like life because you're rooted and you're grounded in love. You can't be moved. You can't be moved when you have that root system. It's more than a foundation. It goes deeper than a foundation. And it's where we have to start our Christian lives, in love. If this church is going to be successful, we've got to love one another beyond anything else. We've got to love one another. And then he says that you might be able, in verse 18, that ye may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height. You know, the love of Christ is, it is incomprehensible. I can't take out the tape measure and measure it. And so this is a little bit of, of an oxymoron, I guess. How can we comprehend the love of Christ? How can we comprehend what he's done for us? But at the same time, he's saying, when you do, and if you do, then you're going to get it. You're going to get the whole picture. You're going to understand it all. When you comprehend the love of Christ, it's not going to be any trouble to forgive your brother or sister. There is nothing they can do to you that would cause you not to forgive them when you comprehend the love of Christ. It's hard to comprehend. It's hard to wrap your mind around. Paul's praying for the church of Ephesus. I pray that you can comprehend it. Because he knows that when you do, then it's going to click. And you're going to love one another. You love one another with all your heart. And nothing is going to be able to stop you from supporting your brothers and sisters in Christ. Nothing's going to stop you from helping the church to grow. Nothing's going to stop you from spreading the message of Jesus when you can comprehend that love. So my prayer is also that you comprehend that love. Romans 11 and verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgment and his ways past finding, <clears throat> past finding out. It is a near incomprehensible thing that Paul wants us to comprehend. But I think we can look at Jesus. I think we can look at his sacrifice. I think we can look at his life. And we can begin to comprehend it. We may never fully grasp it. But we can begin to comprehend it. We can see how a man came down from heaven. A place of total and perfect comfort. A place of no pain and no agony and no sadness. And there he is at the right hand of the Father. And he comes down to the earth. He comes down to the earth. And he dwells among men. And he suffers and he struggles. And he sacrifices. And he's nailed to a cross. And he hangs there and he bleeds in agony and pain. 
for you. When you were a sinner. When you were living in sin and indulging in sin and not caring about him and spitting in his face. And he came down and he did that for you. That's the love of Christ. He loved you that much. And there's nothing, nothing that any one of us can do to one another that pales in comparison to that. I can't do enough evil to you compared to what I have done to him. You can't do enough evil to me compared to what you have done to God and to Christ. And they loved you anyway. They sacrificed anyway. And so when you need me to go a mile with you, it doesn't seem like that much, does it? When you need me to go a mile with you or I need you to go a mile with me, it doesn't seem like that much. And when you go a mile with me and I don't say thank you for that mile, it doesn't seem like that much to get over and to push through and to love me anyway. That's comprehending the love, the breadth and the length and the depth the height. It's without end. There's not a line for Jesus. There's not a line that says, if you cross this line, I don't love you anymore. If you go this deep in despair, I don't love you anymore. There's no such thing as that. And Paul's prayer for the church's Ephesus is comprehend that, grasp that, and love one another like that. Don't bite and devour. Love, love. That you know the love of Christ. That you comprehend it and that you know it. This goes right along the same lines. John 15 verse 12. This is my commandment. That you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this. That a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends. If you do whatsoever I command you. Comprehending the love. And knowing the love of Christ. Is that he expects us to love him. He says love one another as I have loved you. Know how much he loves you and love like that. Know what he has done for you and love like that. That's Paul's prayer for the church at Ephesus. Should be your prayer for the church here. And finally, he states that you be filled with the fullness of God. What a statement. What a statement. The last thing that he asks before he begins to acknowledge God again, is that you be filled with the fullness of God. I hope we all want one another to be filled with the fullness of God. What does that mean? Ephesians chapter 1 verse 22. Has put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church. Listen. Which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. To be filled with the fullness of God, what is that? He said it's being in the church. It's the fullness of God. The church is the fullness of God. When it's functional, when it's operational, at its pinnacle, at its peak, at what Christ wants it to be, at what God wants it to be. It is the fullness of God. So what does that look like? Paul's prayer has been a prayer of them knowing, 
love, of them knowing how to be good people, of them being Christians to the fullest extent, of them following the pattern of Jesus. That's been Paul's prayer all along. And he closes that by saying that you have the fullness of God, that you have the fullness of God in you. That means when I look at you and you look at me, that I don't see your flaws, that I don't see you as the flawed human being that you are. You don't see me as the flawed human being that I am because it's easy. It's easy for me to look at someone else and pick out all their flaws. And it's easy for someone else to look at me and to pick out all my flaws. We can do that all day long. The Bible calls that biting and devouring one another. We just pick at each other. Boy, I wish they would change this. I wish they would change this. I wish they would do this. That's not the fullness of God. The fullness of God is the body functioning in total harmony. So that when I look at you, I see you as someone who compensates my flaws. So that when I look at you, I see someone who makes me whole, makes me complete. And then the body begins to function together. And what I can't do, you can do. And what you can't do, someone else can do. And the body works together in perfect harmony. And that's the experience of the fullness of God. Then we can come together in the church and the body and we can experience fullness, completeness. We can work together and we can accomplish anything. You look at what the church in the early days accomplished. The message that it spread the functionality that it had. And it was because they weren't picking on one another. Sure, they had problems. They addressed issues as they came up, but they didn't do it with guile. They didn't do it with hatred. They did it in a way that, that made them whole, that brought them together, that helped them function. And that's what we want to do as a church. Paul's prayer for the church was this, that they be strengthened in the inner man, that Christ was dwelling in their hearts, that they were rooted and grounded in love, comprehending the totality of the love of Christ, knowing his love and being filled with the fullness of God because the church was functioning in every capacity possible. That's what Paul's prayer for the church was. What can we learn from that? i tell you what I've learned. I don't spend near enough time praying for the church. At this place. Oh yeah, I pray for the church. I pray that the church would grow. I pray that the church would be stronger. But Paul gets into the details. Paul prays for the church to grow in love. To be able to better comprehend Christ's love. To, that they would live and practice out the life of Jesus. That they would mimic his life in every way, shape, and form. That they could comprehend his love. When we're filled with the fullness of God, then we begin to understand what heaven's going to be like. Begin to understand what heaven's going to be like. The church can function in that way. Unfortunately, way too often, the church functions in a way of pointing out mistakes. And, and we should come to that realization. When we hear the word of God taught, we should come to the realization when we have mistakes in our life. But the church, to experience its fullness, we need to rely on one another's strengths. We need to see the strengths in others, see the good in others, see the, the ways that they can help us. And that's what it's about.
What are you doing for the church in terms of praying this prayer? In terms of your desire for the church, what are you doing? Are you hitting your knees before God? And are you begging Him that this church would accomplish these things? Are we just hitting our knees and saying, Lord, help the church grow. Help the church grow. It's a worthy prayer. Not saying we shouldn't pray for the church to grow. But when Paul could look and know through the Spirit, Paul knew every need of the church at Ephesus. He knew every problem. He knew every issue. But his prayer was this. His supplication, his petition, his begging to God was this. That he was going to get on his knees and he was going to ask God to grant this. Hope you will too. I hope that's your prayer for the church. And if it's not, make it so. This week and next week, your challenge is to pray for this church in that fashion. That we accomplish those things. Because when we start to do this, and we're filled with the fullness of God, and we compensate for one another's weaknesses, not by biting or devouring, but by uh, building one another up and edifying, we're going to grow. We're going to grow. Growth's going to happen. Because people are going to look at that, and they're going to say, I want to be a part of that. I want to be part of that. That's what the church is supposed to be. So pray for that, brothers and sisters. Thank you for listening to today's sermon podcast. If you have questions about what you have heard or would like to know more information, please contact us by emailing cfcwheelerarea at gmail.com or look us up on Facebook or Instagram and send us a message there.